0: This episode of the Earmark Podcast is brought to you by BotKeeper. BotKeeper works with QuickBooks and Xero, the most popular online GLs. Free yourself from tweaking rules and accessing your clients' financial accounts. BotKeeper automates it all and learns as it goes.
1: A lot of folks will tell me, Dan, you're underpricing that though. And I said, well, yeah, if I was doing all the work myself, I would be underpricing that. But I'm not doing all the work myself. Right, because you're leveraged one to 20. I'm leveraged, right? So as I'm levering my time, I'm able to provide more
0: with less. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Dan, welcome back. It's great to see you for part three of this discussion on the path to advisory. Cool. Thanks, Blake. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Another week, man. Well, the last two times we talked, we discussed how to scale an accounting firm in advisory through the lens of fp productization of that service, what exactly is in it, what is the product that we are delivering as part of uh, a productized finance function. And you use the term finance as a service, which I love. And if you're just tuning in, go back and check out those previous episodes in order to uh, learn about what that is. So we talked about productizing advisory work, the framework around it including the annual strategic business cycle, the annual operating plan, the uh, budgeting, the forecasting. And one thing that we have not yet discussed, which is super, super important is Mm -hmm. the staff, the staffing. How do you actually deliver this? Because if we are scaling this, we as partners, as directors, as managers cannot be doing this all ourselves. And that is the, the secret recipe or the secret sauce for you anyway if I understood correctly last time, right?
1: Totally, Uh, leveraging people, that's the secret sauce to making money in this business.
0: We mentioned that you use financial analysts, so that's the term you use. The role is a financial analyst analyst role uh, when it comes to delivering finance as a service. So explain to me the difference between an accountant you would hire in Growth Lab and a financial analyst that you would recruit. They operate on separate teams. They have different roles. Help me understand the difference.
1: Correct. So when hiring for a senior bookkeeper, a staff accountant, even a controller, I'm looking for someone probably no different than the rest of the industry, someone who has had either five, 10 years of actual uh, experience in doing the bookkeeping, the reconciliations, Um, can more importantly, I would say it's also navigating the systems and how to actually integrate them and sync them for a controller. I'm really looking for someone with more of that traditional debits and credits understands gap, maybe some light FASB work papers, the importance of having supporting, uh, work papers for each account on the balance sheet. And then other things such as revenue recognition, accrual accounting, et cetera. That's a very different skill set than needing someone who, never mind the business acumen or the financial acumen, but somebody who understands cash flow, cash flow modeling, um, obviously has some experience, either academic, mostly academic, around a balance sheet financial statements. Maybe it's a little less about aptitude, because um, surely you can take somebody that has An accounting degree or a finance degree and you can probably train them in the in sort of the world of financial analysis fpna but it has to do maybe more with attitude somebody who can deal with ambiguity has organizational agility because remember fpna is the connective tissue between business strategy and uh, accounting and financial information somebody who uh, can see beyond sort of uh, the current state and then can articulate a journey from current state to future state. But at its core, what's still important, regardless of the role, it's cadence and rigor, right? Cadence, being able to understand workflow, meeting workflow uh, deadlines, and then lastly, around the rigor, what is being delivered? How's it being delivered, regardless if it's two or three financial statements, or actuals to budget and annual operating plan.
0: I like what you said there about the, um, what was it? It was curiosity or um, the difference. Definitely intellectual
1: curiosity. What's, you know, someone who wants to scratch that itch works really well.
0: And so you're typically not recruiting accounting graduates into these financial analyst roles. What kind of degrees do you look for? What kind of experience do you look for? So ironically,
1: we do have one individual who has an accounting degree. Everyone else is everything from econometrics to finance to more general business, depending on the college. Some liberal arts schools obviously don't have a structured business program. And yeah, ironically, the only individual who actually has an accounting background is Corey Cornoyer, who never I wouldn't even put him in front of QuickBooks. Uh, he spent his entire life in front of uh, spreadsheets and of course, more recently, in front of Giraffe. He does extremely well with the details, so he understands the debits and credit and the theory, but what he really enjoys is more of that blue sky, carte blanche sort of opportunity to build a plan, um, tell the story around that plan. So I think it goes back to attitude more Mm. so than aptitude, but definitely two different tracks, two different career roadmaps.
0: Uh, And- where are you going out to recruit you guys are a firm of is it a few dozen now 30 40 yeah we're about 28 yeah, of so four so you're in an interesting spot because you're you're not small anymore right more than 10 I would consider is no longer small so you're in the mid-sized firms but you're also not large so it's hard to compete I imagine with some of the larger firms recruiting out of school did you say you're you' you're you're not recruiting out of school you look for folks with experience already?
1: On the contrary, oh. uh, 100%. So for fp mm-hmm. it is 100% right out of school. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, maybe one to two years of experience. But we're actually in the process because because our goal is to achieve a one to 20 leverage. That requires to build the the bench, the entry level bench, right? And as we grow and scale, the the hope is, of course, and it's happening because we're seeing it. Um, one or two folks are starting to pop into that uh, uh, into that level, building up the bench so that you can bring these uh, this young talent to the next level, level such as senior financial analyst, director of finance. I mean, they, they have years, 15, 20 years to be a CFO, but that's kind of how we're
0: looking at it. So you said one to 20 leverage, do you mean one staff per 20 clients? So it would be one hour of my
1: time, to 20 hours of a financial analyst time.
0: Got it. And then that ratio is obviously lower for the other folks on the team. So Exactly.
1: At, well, but it's okay. a one-to-one, I guess, if you're at the bottom of that.
0: So let's talk about then the different, the hierarchy, if you will, of this. Um, so I, so I, I come into Growth Lab, I am a business major, and maybe I've got like some experience doing a little bit of spreadsheeting. I've got enough accounting knowledge to be dangerous, but not enough to be boring, right? <laughs> I, I have curiosity and I have, um, the attitude that you said. So what, who am I going to be reporting to? What kind of stuff am I going to be working on? What's, what's a day in the life of your junior financial analyst?
1: Great. So if you just recently joined us, you recently uh, graduated from college, uh, you're probably in the junior FP&A analyst, um title role you will be reporting not on an HR basis but within the function you'll be reporting into a senior FPNA analyst and or a director of finance that director of finance and FP and senior FPNA analyst will be reporting into one of the CFOs in this case it's either myself Stephen or one of our other team members um, and so today we're only three layers deep and if I guess if you add interns we kind of treat interns and uh, junior fp and uh, at the same level. You know, I, in terms of recruiting, you, you had asked earlier how we approach this. Uh, yes, we do do uh, quite a bit of college recruiting. I actually uh, step into classes at, at universities, especially here at Brown University in Rhode Island, where I do teach young talent students about financial and business modeling and how, and what the importance the importance of business modeling is to telling your story as an entrepreneur and grounding that story in financials. Why I went into that. So part of our college recruiting program is the way we describe it is so you can go into public and you can spend two, three years there. And the beauty of going into public
0: is you get to see a lot like the breadth of what you see is amazing. So you're, you're you're talking about the conversation that you have with students when you are recruiting them. You, you this get, would
1: be the conversation.
0: Okay, So that's one option is going to public, get that breadth.
1: Get that breadth. But you don't usually get the intimacy, right? You don't go deep into that business model. On the contrary, or on the flip side, if I may, uh, you can go into corporate America and you can get yourself a corporate accounting job or a corporate financial analyst job. And then chances are you're going to be in that role for one to two years until you sort of move up the ladder. But the nice thing about going into corporate is that you get to go really deep with that business model. You get to create intimacy with that environment, but you don't get to see a whole lot, right? And so those are the two sort of two sides of the range. The way we tend to describe the experience, your career roadmap here at Growth Lab, regardless if it's accounting or FP&A, is that you get the best of both worlds. So you're not getting yourself a hundred customers and different business models. You're probably gonna, you're probably gonna have actively 10 to 20 different customers, but you get to you get to go really deep with them because of that cadence, right? We're always in contact and we're deep into the business model and also into different functions within the business, regardless if it's HR, capital raising, product development, et cetera. And that really gets the juices flowing for someone who's not in accounting. And w- once the, you know, they want to be in, fi- in finance, but they're not ready to, they don't want to go to that banking environment, highly structured, you know, you of like in a cubicle. You know, I just recently hired someone who was really, it was between Growth Lab and going to a top 20 bank here in the US. Mm. They ultimately came to us because of the exposure to different business models and the exposure to different functions, right? The building their business acumen when they're really young.
0: Yeah, it, it's it's a good way to position it. Like in between having so many clients that you're overwhelmed and you never really get to get to know them, that's public, and then often can be anyway. Um, and then or big public firms, and then you've got going into industry where it's just one company. So you're giving them the option to or the opportunity to get to know a, a bunch of different kinds of businesses. On to a, go on wide a, and deep. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so I, I'm sold, Dan. I, I want to work at Growth Lab, but uh, you know, I don't I don't really have any experience. I'm coming straight out of school. Maybe I've done the internship or something. Like, how mm-hmm. do you how do you train these folks to be <laughs> able to do financial modeling? I mean, because that's the core of the product that you are offering.
1: Right. So I took a page out of my own experience when I was in my twenties. And I I am very grateful for the exposure I had in my twenties. I was fortunate enough to have a career in a management team at multiple companies that allowed me to be that fly on the wall, allowed me to observe and listen, helped me build my business acumen. And I had plenty of time to become the spreadsheet jockey modeling expert and we we kind of leveraged some of that in the beginning so if you had talked to me back in uh, 2015 2016 that's how we were grooming team members
0: it doesn't letting work. them sit in on meetings learning by observing you at work right
1: yeah. letting them sit in the meetings how we approach things different scenarios dealing with you know hundreds of different business models never mind personalities that was great five years ago. And I don't think I would have done anything different, but I got to tell you, that doesn't scale fast enough. But because it's very difficult to hire for this type of role, because this type of role, it's either all or nothing. Um, To fill this type of role, you're looking for somebody who has 10 to 15 years of true finance FP&A experience, but yet this type of role doesn't really exist. It exists in corporate America. But you're only dealing with one business model, one customer, one management team. But to find this role, this function, the you know, th- these capabilities in say, a public accounting, it's very difficult to find that. And so we, we struggled with that in the beginning, to be honest. And so that's why we defaulted to sort of the more, the longer, more prolonged, Onboarding process, training and development process, which worked really well for our first two analysts. Today, that's not the case. Today, that now that we have a more of a team, uh, we just recently hired two more analysts back in August, September, and they're not partaking in meetings, right? They're not the fly on the wall. As a matter of fact, they're part of a small team, and their number one job is to crank out models under the supervision of a director of finance. And so this director of finance sort of splits his time, about 25% focus on this team, that their sole job is they're literally in a room cranking out models. The good news is it gets isolated. It doesn't, nothing leaves that room without a second, third set of eyes. Now, why is that lever, why can we actually scale that? Because that's like a three to four month process. I just had a conversation with one of them, and it's amazing what they have learned in two to three months, less than that.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, they're they're getting to build models under the supervision of folks who really know what they're doing, that director of finance, and it's all getting reviewed and they're getting feedback. And I could see how if that's all you're doing for a few months, you could get really, really good at it.
1: You get really, really good at it. And it is analogous to how back in 2014, 2015, how we were onboarding young talent to join the accounting and bookkeeping side of the business learning by doing learning by doing a very discrete, very discrete set of inputs and deliverables a very i used to call it a very short leash 30 minute 60 minute leash and there's always a very high velocity feedback loop
0: when you say leash you mean they're going off and working on something coming back an hour later and then exactly some feedback got it yeah that's that's a lot better than just letting people go for a few days and hoping that they learn something <laughs> yeah. and that works great in large yeah. companies right but not here yeah well you don't have the time to waste right. the time of, what if they spend three days doing nothing useful right
1: and then you're going to spend a day unraveling it all
0: yeah right okay so that's the experience junior financial analyst they come in they learn by doing they're in the room they're building the financial models uh and you know going back to our previous discussions those business models are really the core of how you build forecasts and budgets that become part of this productized service offering so it's really important that they learn how to do that from scratch
1: Right. And they have no exposure to pay for performance, employee comp, strategic, you know, annual strategic business planning. They're sort of just doing it right. And as time goes on, you begin to open up their exposure to the bigger why. Why am I doing this? Why am I cranking out a five-year plan? How is that five-year plan part of something bigger? Now you begin to bring them in slowly into that cadence and that rigor the team to deliver that service to the customer.
0: So that means I take it then after three to four months, they are now starting to be in those client meetings? Exactly. And who leads the meetings? Is it the senior financial analyst for most of them? I think I remember that's what you said last time.
1: So it's really a function of the package that the customer um, has decided to pursue. If it is one of our two first packages, lower level packages, then it would be a senior FPA analyst and or a director of finance. Gotcha. But then again, if they need higher level conversation, dialogue around capital raising, cap tables, or set pricings, uh, contracts, then we, we as CFOs can spend that five or 10 minutes with our team and or the customer adding additional value at no cost.
2: Hawk. I am the ghost of Christmas Future. I have come to-
3: Wait, what? Uh, Christmas was over months ago, and I'm pretty sure no one says hark anymore.
2: Oh, uh, sorry, since the Great Resignation, there aren't many of us future ghosts left working. So, well, I'm stretched a bit. I should be working on my holiday hauntings, but I'm picking up the slack.
3: (sighs) Yeah, it's tough out there for sure. My accounting firm has real capacity problems too. If we could find a way to tackle the work we have and still grow the firm, we'd be in great shape. But we're bogged down with all these menial bookkeeping tasks.
2: That is why I have come! To show you the future of bookkeeping!
3: That's great, but I'm standing right here.
2: (laughs) Oh, sorry.
3: You got my attention, though. Let's hear about the future of bookkeeping. At this point, I'll even take unsolicited ghost advice.
2: (laughs) The future of bookkeeping is bookkeeper! It will free your accountants from the chains of data entry, reconciliation, and verification. And now, if you schedule a meeting on number four March 31st, 2022, you could win a year of BotKeeper bookkeeping automation free. Just visit botkeeper.com slash win for details and rules.
3: Wow, a free year of BotKeeper? That sounds pretty amazing, but we already have an online GL.
2: Silly mortal. BotKeeper works with QuickBooks and Zero, the most popular online GLs. Free yourself from tweaking rules and accessing your client's financial accounts. BotKeeper automates it all and learns as it goes.
3: It sounds fantastic, but we're so busy, we don't have time to implement new systems.
2: BotKeeper is quick and simple to implement. And they even help, like Santa's helpers.
3: Okay, I'm interested. How do I get started?
2: Just visit BotKeeper.com win and marry! Yeah,
3: still not Christmas.
0: So how long do you anticipate it will take a junior financial analyst to mature into a senior financial analyst? Is it similar to a, a year or two that you might do in public accounting to go from staff one to staff two? Is it longer, shorter? So you- I
1: think, again, we're still fortunate, Blake, that we're small enough. And there's, still, there's enough intimacy around the team uh, and feedback loops that I can pretty much take – a junior financial analyst and make that individual into a senior financial analyst with the ability to run at least
0: low-level meetings. And how how soon can you do that? 12 months. 12 months, okay. Easy.
1: I would tell you within six to eight months, we've already started cutting the, allowing them to sort of interact with the customer directly, assuming they have the right attitude, right?
0: Well that's important right because they got to learn how to talk to clients at some point. They do. So sooner sooner rather than later is probably for the best. Yeah, and I'm um, a big
1: believer in stretching. So
0: Okay, so let's say I've made it to senior financial analyst. We already said the big part of that is owning a customer relationship, especially those folks who are on the lower tiered finance as a service plans that you have. Uh, what else am I doing as a as a senior financial analyst? As part of my day to day, yep.
1: Good question. So, first and foremost, you're there for the customer.
0: Oh, and no, I should ask this too. I'm curious. Uh, you've got the accounting team that does the books, and you've got the finance team that does the the, the planning. How does the customer interact on like a like? What's the balance of that on a day to day or week to week basis? Like, does the customer know for accounting stuff, I go to this person? for finance stuff. I go to my senior financial analyst. Like, how do you, I guess, yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you handle who gets what?
1: Yeah. And that, that's actually the basis of one of the reasons why, you know, we have taken a bigger, a deeper look into our workflow altogether. But I would say if you are a full service customer, but on the first or second tier, uh, without active CFO services, it probably feels a little more like, 30, 40% 30, 40% accounting and 60, 70% percent fp Why? Because the fp team has at a minimum two meetings per month with the customer. In the first three months, as we discussed earlier, you got this intricate onboarding process where your customer is connecting with the fp team at least once a week to build that model. Whereas on the accounting side, after one or two initial accounting cycles bookkeeping closes. Then that customer goes from the onboarding accounting team to the uh, what I call the recurring accounting services team. And normally it is you know obviously one financial close done by the controller or a senior accounting manager. And then behind the scenes, it's either a junior accountant or a bookkeeper that rare, rarely has a, a lot of contact with the customer. So on an intimate sort of one to one, It'd be like one meeting a month on the accounting and two to four on the
0: FPNA side. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So fp
1: is really like the dog wagging the tail here.
0: Okay. So getting back to where we were going with this, um, senior financial analyst, I'm having meetings with a client. I'm updating their financial model. I'm training junior financial analysts. Maybe they're working on my clients with me. Mm-hmm. Anything else that springs to mind? So you're
1: t- so. You're ensuring that the workflow is accurate, right? You've got the right cadence. You're coordinating with the accounting team if there are any changes. So because you don't have one individual managing the customer relationship, and as you know, like in business, a lot of stuff comes up, especially if you're a scaling startup, going through capital raising, product development, customer acquisition, Like, there's a whole lot of stuff happening. And there are things that happen on the, fi- on the finance calls that aren't really happening on the accounting calls, things that are happening on the ops and sales calls that accounting has no visibility into. So one of the things like that a senior financial analyst has to do really, really well is making sure that information flow is happening across all teams, not to mention tax and CFO services. Cause there are time I mean everyone's having multiple conversations with uh, the customer. Got it. So and this person—that's the biggest trick in this in this uh service level.
0: Is is yeah keeping it all handled and stuff not getting dropped. So this this financial analyst person is also kind of responsible for just keeping it all together. Keeping sure it all together. Okay, got it. Well, there's plenty to do there, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, um, it builds a lot of the softer skills, right? Yeah. So if you're not coming into this with, this is how you do revenue recognition. This is how you close the books. You gotta be able to come into this and say, okay, here's a cash flow model or a five-year plan that we already know off the bat is gonna be wrong. But at least it's like, you know, the 80-20 rule. And then two, you got to make sure that the flow of information, like, hits all sides of all parts of our team, and that it's captured somewhere.
0: So how much am I going to, building an fp a practice, how much am I going to expect to pay for these folks, these roles?
1: Good question.
0: Yeah, Just what th- should I offer? What To be competitive, right? I need to offer good compensation, benefits to these financial analysts. How do what can you share with me uh, that would help me do that? So
1: I would say a junior financial analyst that has very limited experience.
0: Yeah. Let's say straight out of school,
1: straight out of school. You're looking between
0: 35 and 50. Okay.
1: And my voice just went down. (laughs) (laughs) You're looking at 35 to 50.
0: Yeah. Well, and that actually is, you know, not that far off from like entry-level public accounting positions, right? It's It's, kind of similar. And, they're they're accepting that because they're going to learn a lot at the same time, right? With the expectation right. of being able to grow in the firm. So, once you've you know gotten past your you know twelve month period of learning, like I assume you bump them up once they become seniors.
1: Yeah, I mean, so Blake, one of the one of the risks in our inherently in our industry is you train people and they leave all the time, right? So. It's got to be a balance. So if you know you're going to be spending hours on end training and developing so that they can be at the top of the game in 12 to 24 months, that earnings curve is quite steep. So if you ever seen a hockey stick curve? Mm
0: -hmm. It's my
1: financial analyst.
0: So the better they do, the more they can make?
1: Right. And then we actually put them on a corporate uh, bonus program. So our typical senior financial planning analysis uh, analyst, will be on a 10% um, corporate program.
0: So 10% of their compensation is is performance-based?
1: 10% of their salary would be performance-based.
0: Got it, so I'm guaranteed 90%, and then the other 10% I can earn by hitting certain objectives, targets.
1: And, and our targets are all at 100% revenue. That's all we care about on that side of the business, mm-hmm. 100% revenue, and if you hit stretch targets, you get two times kicker, two times multiplier of your bonus.
0: Okay, so I can earn 20% Yeah. then. Okay, got it. And it's all revenue-based. Do you you allocate revenue from the clients then down to the analysts that's responsible for that relationship? How do you do it? No,
1: I don't. For me, it would be, we care about the entire system Mm -hmm. and less about whether one customer or one individual, is quote unquote profitable.
0: Okay. So I'm just, I'm trying to understand how you do these calculations because, so like I'm a, I'm a financial analyst. I've got what a dozen clients, maybe 20. Mm -hmm. So we know the revenue as a firm for each of those clients. So you just sum up that. And then that's like my target. I have a target. And if I exceed that, then I'm good. So we
1: only have division level targets. So we don't have team level. We don't have individual level. It is division level. So the entire financial plan analysis team has their revenue I target. See. I see. Because we we want to make sure that one, we're acting as a team. If mm-hmm. I've got this project team off to the side that are building the models, regardless of like what customers assigned yep. to them. And then I've got the senior analysts that are managing the relationships, we're all in it together.
0: Yeah, that's, well, that's interesting because that's very different than a hourly billing type of performance compensation model, right? Which is what we're used to often in public accounting. And so, so you incentivize the team. You say, here as, as a team, finance team, if you hit this revenue threshold, then you know you're going to get your bonus. And if you exceed this, then here's the kicker. Right. And so everyone works together to increase the revenue.
1: So the way we manage gross margin and capacity, and capacity needs, capacity utilization based on customer flow is we take a page from like Lean, Six Sigma, TAC time. And so every customer, we plan that that one customer is going to require at least two hours a week of a senior fp analyst and four hours a week of a junior fp analyst, especially in the beginning, right? As we're onboarding, as time goes on, now you can take, that allocation per week, multiply it times two. So you're looking at eight hour and we do this in chunks and blocks. So you have two four hour blocks each day for the junior. You've got four two hour blocks for the senior. So now you can begin to build your model based on that information. Mm.
0: Yeah. And and so so basically like a senior is at most going to be able to handle like four clients a day if that if they were able to do it all at once. Right. So twenty oh, a month. Yeah, twenty would be the max, right? Max. Gotcha. And that's if they're hustling, I imagine.
1: Okay. And you gotta like, there's development. There's other mm-hmm. learnings. Wall Street Journal. Go read a book. That's on their own time, right? <laughs> no,
0: I tell uh, them if you're not modeling,
1: make sure you're picking up the Wall Street Journal.
0: That's great. Uh, and then you you said this earlier, the CFO, finance director folks, it's a one to twenty leverage ratio. Mm-hmm. So the idea is. Uh, well, it, does, it comes down to into, into minutes per client per day, I suppose, for those folks. But uh, we could do the math and figure it out. I'm not good at doing math on the fly, so I'm not going to try it. <laughs> I need my spreadsheet open. Okay, so, so that all makes sense. That's great. That's really helpful. And with that team, you are able to you know manage a book of business for this finance as a service productized offering. And you know what your costs are, right? Because you've got fixed salaries for the staff. and Right. Are you interested in being more of an advisor to your clients? There's an app that can help you get there. Its name is LiveFlow. Have you ever exported a QuickBooks Online report to a Google Sheet, spent time customizing the sheet, invited others to collaborate, then discovered the QuickBooks data had changed, forcing you to start the entire process over again? LiveFlow has solved your problem. Liveflow connects QuickBooks Online directly to Google Sheets, allowing you to have sheets that automatically update with the most recent QuickBooks data. Accountants are using Liveflow today to create automatically updating budgets versus actual reports and consolidated reports. Yes, you heard right consolidated reports. You can connect one Google Sheet to multiple QuickBooks Online companies and focus on providing better advice. LiveFlow has a special offer just for the listeners of this podcast. Get 20% off your first three months. To claim this special offer and learn more about using LiveFlow, go to liveflow.io slash earmark. That's L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W dot I-O slash earmark. Well, now we got to talk about the revenue portion, right? How do we price How do we price this stuff? This is probably what everybody has been waiting to hear for the last uh, three sessions that we have done this. Um, So what can you tell me about the different tiers that you've mentioned? You've got some starter tiers and Mm -hmm. you're doing fixed fee pricing. What is your secret uh, recipe here for coming up with the the price?
1: Yeah, so the secret is- Let's start at the bottom. We'll start at the 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 basic.
0: So let's
1: start at the bottom with full disclosure pricing is an art, not a science.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: Two, you got to know your customer, the persona. Our goal here, at least at our company, is to bring on companies that are in that seed series A that are beginning to appreciate the value of planning. But not just planning for just one time event, but the the rigors of planning. And it needs to be at a price point that makes sense to them initially because the FPNA package is truly a hook for bigger and better things later on. Um so we have priced out our FPNA package one and package two. I, I think the marketing team calls it something else but for simplicity you got the first and the second tier and i believe the first is uh, priced at 1500 and the second is priced at 2000 now what do i get for that well again you kind of
0: you know you S- sorry you said yeah. 1500 tier 1 is 1500 1500 for tier 1 and 2000 for tier 2 so that's not not a huge difference in the two tiers
1: so it's not but that f- extra 500 dollars allows for that additional meeting and the prep work that goes into that additional meeting. So it gives us a little uh, bit of a buffer.
0: Oh so the, and that's where you add in the finance director CFO level right input. not so, so much okay. the CFO level but no, it allows us it.
1: to more elevated uh, more elevated folks and additional cadence and actually more output right instead of just like uh investor reporting now you're talking about budgets actuals maybe presentation to the investors board meetings etc so you could without the need to have someone like myself taking the lead on that project now it's a more of a collaborative effort between the business owner and the business and that team and their teams like
0: finance team. Okay so let's go to tier one. I'm getting a junior financial analyst obviously and I take it I'm getting the senior correct okay so we got a junior and a senior no uh no higher level folks at that point am I right no
1: or- but again we're not the type where if you call I'm gonna charge you every six minutes for the call but I usually tell folks one I enjoy speaking to the customers and two it's just a great opportunity to do a check-in but no it does not officially include CFO service
0: you're not getting the regular check-in with no. the CFO the regular got it it's just as needed. Okay. 1500 a month. Um, let's talk about what else is in that package. Like what is the product?
1: So definitely a three-year long-range plan with not like an entire a suite of drivers. It's going to be a tighter plan. Simplified. Um, simplified. And then coming out of that, you're probably not even going to have a liquidity, you know, the capital raising tranches in there. But it's a three-year plan. Then you get your annual operating plan, and then you get your annual operating plan updated, and you get your rolling forecast uh,
0: every month. That seems and- simple enough. So simplified three-year long-range plan, but you're not doing the fundraising um, component of that, where you know that would mean like, okay, what if we went out and raised a bunch of money? We got a loan, all this financing stuff. A that's lot of scenario planning. Yeah, Right, no. this is more just like business as is. How will it go over the next three years? And then simplified drivers. So you're not doing crazy revenue uh, forecasting with all sorts of different products and services and whatnot.
1: Yeah. Plain vanilla
0: planning. Got it. And then you get the annual operating plan, which is the budget. That includes then updating that. How often do you update it? Quarterly? I'm a big
1: fan of updating it once a year in June as of, you know, for July 1st. And it really allows you to take inventory of the first six months. And if you're bonusing out or paying for performance, people are banking on your annual operating plan, your budget, for you to hit your budget. So it's up to you as a management team to figure out what you're going to do to hit that budget in the last six months of the year if you're not on
0: target. And then the last thing is the rolling forecast. And that is basically the financial reporting package, the management reports, with the do forecast out 12, 12 months at a time each time you issue. Yeah, there is hmm. six months. Yes and no. It's usually through year end. But through year end. Okay, yeah. got it. But you always so, yeah. capture the
1: outer months, right?
0: Right. And and you're using FP&A software. You're using Giraffe, so it's easy to do that rolling forecast in, as part of the regular management reports because it's just feeding in the uh, annual operating plan, right? And the and the forecast. Okay. Yep. All right. That's great. Very helpful. So now at the tier two, two thousand a month, you're adding in. CFO. So,
1: yeah, you're add, not the, not, CFO, you're not, not CFO. CFO, but you're adding in a more robust staff staffing roadmap. You're adding in some pay for performance comp and dashboards, conversion rates off of your RevOps team or your inbound marketing. You're going deeper into that second derivative of the drivers, not just taking it at face value. You're also-
0: That's really interesting what you said, second derivative drivers. And I know a lot of folks who took calculus who hated it are probably- you know, their brains turn off when they hear derivative. <laughs> or or if you took, uh, if you had to study that for the uh, <laughs> CPA exam, accounting for derivatives. Um, good. I never learned that. You never learned that? Look, luckily, it didn't show up on the exam, so I was good. Um, when you say second derivative drivers, like give me an example of what would be a simple driver and then what would be a second derivative type of driver yeah,
1: situation. I, so the easiest one would be, I expect my revenue to increase by 25%. Okay, great. So that's a cater, easy easy. Yep. But then why? The why begins to unravel, peel back the onion, right? And the why could be, well, I expect to acquire X amount of customers. Okay, great. How are you acquiring those customers? What's the customer acquisition cost? Okay, so now you're going you're taking it deeper, ba- deeper and deeper into, you know, three, four layers of that Original driver, which was I expect my revenue to increase yeah. by 25%. Okay. So tier one, tier two, is there a tier three? There is. And so tier three is where we get into more of the CFO role. So our tier three, I believe, starts at 4,000, and that mm-hmm. includes the second package of the FPNA. Layering on a more active CFO role, where the CFO is actually meeting with the customer on a w- on a weekly basis for a half hour, forty five minutes, or you know, there's definitely going to be meetings once a, once a week. Reporting mm-hmm. requirements, uh, reporting requirements are going to be more robust, and you know, usually there's a board meeting, there's investor report out. Now, the good news is because. A lot of folks will tell me, Dan, you're underpricing that though. And I said, well, yeah, if I was doing all the work myself, I would be underpricing that, but I'm not doing all the work myself. Right, because you're leveraged one to 20. I'm leveraged, right? So as I'm levering my time, I'm able to provide more with less. And so, you know, I always say, when you hire some of the fractional CFOs, especially like five, 10 years ago, and you pay them fifteen hundred dollars per diem, or you're paying you know four hundred dollars an hour for fractional CFOs. Eighty percent of the time, you find those individuals not really working on business strategy, but but working on things that financial analysts should be doing, controllers should be doing, doing journal entries, you know, putting together spreadsheets. That's not what you need a CFO for. And so, what we have decided and what we have done because we've taken essentially what you would get from a part-time CFO that you have access to four times a month per DM pricing, which could be upwards of $6,000, $8,000 per month. We've taken that and what you get from that. And we've been able to give you the same, but at a lower cost point.
0: I, I should ask something very important, which is, does this include the accounting or is this just for the FPNA?
1: This is just the fp and the reason why it's just the fp is I can really templatize if I've got my annual strategic business cycle as my framework, right? That's my guiding light. That's my beacon. Mm-hmm. And then I've got what I'm going to do, the underlying tasks or work or projects that you're going to do either throughout the year or in each month, I can pretty much put a bookmark on that. On the accounting, good luck because growing businesses every month they're adding a new chart of account, they're opening up a new bank account, new credit card, they got a new employee, and revenue is growing, expenses are growing, so it's very difficult to just put one flat mm, fee, yeah. as you know, obviously.
0: So for the accounting, are you doing fixed fees? Or are you doing hourly or combination?
1: 100% fixed fees.
0: Okay, on everything, and, yeah.
1: And I love it because it forces us as a service provider to spend a little bit of extra time scoping the customer out. Mm-hmm. And maybe I don't need to leave money on the table.
0: Is there a tier four?
1: No. So the tier four would, I mean, there are variations. So I I, I said like our starting price would be 4000 I mean, that can yeah. go, we have customers that are, I mean, we've had customers that are 20000 a month, although we don't like them. We like, I well, mean, we love yeah. them. <laughs> we love those customers, but we, well, we're we not in pursuit of those customers. Those tend to be the anomaly now. Yeah. Um, maybe five, five years scal- ago, it's, it's, it's not, scalable. not scalable, right? Yeah. Um, so, where our sweet spot is really that two thousand to three thousand, up to five thousand a month type of customer. That's what we love here.
0: Well, and it makes so much sense from a customer standpoint too, because what are the alternatives that they have? They could go and get a fractional CFO and pay three hundred to five hundred dollars an hour, or they could hire a CFO who's going to end up spending most of their time doing non-CFO work. So it's not, it's not a good use of funds. It's very expensive to hire somebody who's going to spend most of their time doing, you know, controller or senior accountant level work. Mm -hmm. And, and so really you're providing them what is a better experience because it's, I mean, I would rather pay a fixed fee than pay 300 or $500 an hour right? Yeah. Like,
1: you know, and we've covered like over the, over the last, over the series, we've talked about in one way or another, the cadence, the rigor, and then the team. Like today we spent mm-hmm. a lot more time on talking about the team and hiring and how you organize that. But the reason why we can do what we do with our team and have 22 year olds right out of college, like working on your model is because you have all the other stuff that we talked about previously. You've got systems like giraffe, you've got the cadence, you've got workflow mm-hmm. systems, so I'm not, I'm not spending hours looking for a broken link or version right. control.
0: <laughs> version control on spreadsheets or emailing the spreadsheets around. I mean, it's, I mean, to me, it's sort of similar from uh, the, the bookkeeping world, right? I started out in bookkeeping, mm-hmm. emailing QuickBooks desktop files back and Boom. forth, right? And, and we would run into version control issues. Maybe they'd send me an accountant's copy and then make a change. And or then Mac we- to PC. Yeah, and we couldn't merge it back, and then we'd lose days of work. And yeah. you know, we've we've eliminated that with the right technology. And we haven't talked a lot about the tech. Uh, maybe that would be a good you know future episode. Because, but but what we wanted to talk about here was you know the the productization of the offering. And I think we've got a pretty good idea now of of what that is, right? So so let's just summarize it again, just to be super cr- clear about you know what it is that we are offering here. We are giving people. Uh, a long range plan. We are giving them a 12 month annual budget. We are combining that with our management reports, our financial reports to produce a rolling forecast that shows them where they're going to be at the end of every year, right? And you're doing it every
1: month, every times of the year.
0: And meeting with them twice a month to go over this stuff, whatever they need right? One, one meeting is the, let's go over your financial reports. The other meeting is we'll handle all the other stuff that comes up. And there's plenty to talk about throughout the year. And you, you've got this, you know, ongoing relationship with folks, with businesses that really need this kind of service that need this help and can't afford to hire a CFO. So it's- It limits it's, scope creep. So it's, how does it, what limits the scope creep? So- I
1: hear from other companies that their biggest challenge is being able to charge, to get paid for services, especially ad hoc services that they're providing. If there's one thing that pandemic has shown accounting firms, is you got to get paid for the services and
0: value you provide. Yeah. Well, and a lot of firms during the pandemic, they didn't actually get paid for their PPP consulting. Amazingly. A huge chunk just didn't know how to charge for it, but y- you were basically already charging for it, or did you do extra? I'm curious about that. Because- it
1: depended on the customer, actually. Yeah. Um, if you were a full service uh, FPNA with CFO customers, we actually did not charge for ERTCs, PPPs. We didn't have to because it was just part of what we were doing. Like we had access to it, mm-hmm. and so we. We didn't charge for customers that were in the higher level packages. We did charge for those customers that were bookkeeping or just accounting or just tax. We did provide. We did charge extra. Uh, we did not do success fees though. It was all flat fee. It was anywhere between a thousand and twenty five hundred for a normal ERTC. And there was a lot of work that went into the ERTCs and PBP. And more importantly, never mind the work. It was a strategy in optimizing PPP versus ERTC. Yes, yes. And a lot of people, they move too quick, and we told all of our customers, do not file for forgiveness until the dust has settled on your payroll for that quarter so that we know what's the exchange of ERTC
0: versus versus PPP expenses. Yeah, and I'm sure they appreciated that foresight when when, uh, it turned out that you really needed to pick one or the other, at least at the beginning.
1: They appreciated Mm -hmm. it. They're still waiting for the money, though.
0: (laughs) Well, fortunately, our listeners don't have to wait for your insights, Dan, because you have already shared them with us in these past three sessions. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks, Blake.
0: This was great. Hey, by the way, if our listeners would like to learn more about Growth Lab and get in touch with you online, where is the best place for them to do that?
1: Yeah, totally. So you can always go to our website, at growthlabfinancial.com or you can shoot me an email at dan at growthlabfinancial.com and of course on linkedin
0: thanks dan thanks blake appreciate it man thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something new and if you did wouldn't it be nice to get some cpe credit for it well i've got great news my new app, Earmark CPE, offers free naspa approved CPE credits for listening to podcasts, including this one. Visit EarmarkCPE.com to download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. That's EarmarkCPE.com.